talking about is my comedy circle. Right. Like, like my mom is not in my comedy <laughs> circle. My mom is out of the circle. She does not, I don't give a fuck what she thinks about something. If she thinks something's not funny, which is by the way, anything I've ever done, <laughs> I don't give a shit. Right. Like she, and she always tries to send me like a red skeleton DVD and be like, this is how comedy should be done. And I'm always like, thank you. Perfect. The reviews are in. Once again, I'm not red skeleton. <laughs> Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making in this crazy biz and how they're almost, almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest is a writer, actor, director, producer who starred and written in the movies Internet Famous Funny Story and The Thinning. It is my good friend and enormous talent, Steve Green. What's up, brother? Great. Thanks for having me, dude. Especially Uh, honored to be on a show called Almost Famous. That is actually a real honor. You're welcome. Actually, it's technically almost, almost famous. So you're My not. Bad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm very grateful that people have agreed to be on the show. I feel like it's something where like some people might be like, oh, no, I don't want to put that out there. But I think no, I'm, I'm only, famous. I'm famous. I'm only <laughs> friends with people who have a very good sense of self-awareness. Yes. Same. I can't handle the others. I feel like that's a, a, a big indicator of how we kind of started our friendship. We met maybe like over a decade ago now at yeah. a company called Maker Studios. Little we inter- startup. Little startup, maybe you heard. We were introduced by mutual friend, Sammy, who's amazing. And she was like, oh, I think you guys will get along. And we very quickly, like, I remember meeting you and being like, I am going to get along with this guy because he gets how ridiculous this all is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I don't think we were ever there not taking a shit on everything around us. <laughs> yeah. We were like, we were still, deserve shit. Yeah, we were in it. We were happy to be working, putting out yep. as things as best we could, as funny as we could. But there'd be some moments where we'd be in some like writer's room and we just glance at each other and our eyes would say everything like, what the hell are we doing? And everyone else is like, yeah, that's amazing. Wow, that's next level shit. And we're like, <laughs> I can't believe everyone agrees with that. Do you remember being in a writer's room with uh, Horatio Sands that one yes. time? Yes. And we're... And he was, um, he used to come, we used to have weekly writers meetings with Horatio Sands, right? And of course, he's a Saturday Night Live legend, for those of you who don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember specifically him being there. And I've never understood the term phoning it in until I saw Horatio Sands sitting there on his iPad. And anytime someone asked him a question, he's like, yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. And then he's right back in his iPad. Honestly, I don't blame him. No it's, way. It's, he's hilarious, super nice guy. I, I was so, nice. so glad to like, just be like, oh, I'm, I'm quote unquote working with Horatio Sands, but I agree. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like, what is the deal he made for this? <laughs> like how much are they like paying him for him just to sit there to truly to in the room. and just to be in the room and someone would say something like, huh, yeah, that, that could work. <laughs> We'd be like, oh my God, Horatio loves my idea. <laughs> really? And, and that's the best thing is really, they just paid him to sit there and be very cold. <laughs> Because we had the AC on so hard. I mean, that guy's definitely freezing his ass off. And that's basically, I think, what they paid him to do. Yeah. Yeah, those were some some early days. I guess I never realized, like, what made you kind of gravitate towards the YouTube track, quote unquote? Like, Well, dude, I came out of UCB and I did comedy sports in San Diego. So when I came to UCB, I was like, okay, long form, this is the shit. I got sick of, like, the hacky ass, like... um red versus blue with a ref in the middle and like all that shit um, for improv. And then I was doing long form, fell in love with it immediately. The Herald, like all that stuff. I used to be on a live. Um, we did um, 
a bunch of shit, right? A bunch of different stuff. But um, coming out of that, I remember hearing about YouTube and YouTubers and thinking like that stuff sucks, you know? <laughs> right? And because there's like this elitism that you have when you're at UCB, especially like, you know, you got your UCB hoodie and you're like, I'm part of this group. All the other groups suck ass. <laughs> and I remember feeling that way. And then when I got to um, my girlfriend at the time, was friends with uh, already tuber. He was already tubing around with the Maker Studios crew, Michael Gallagher, you know him. Mm-hmm. And they had me come to set for this thing. And she's like, oh, my, my boyfriend's pretty funny. You should talk to him. So we, we talked on the phone and we hit it off really, really like kind of like me and you were just like, okay, cool. He doesn't take the shit too seriously. He gets it. And he also wants to, to make funny stuff. So I like that. And so um, I got invited to a set where I was, asked to do this show called hot girls with Cassim g and lisa nova um lisa donovan i guess now is her um the name but yeah um so i remember being on set for that and i was like this stuff sucks <laughs> you know and i tell that to Cassim now i mean that's shit i mean that shit i thought that shit sucked right so coming into that i was like man if people are making such bad things on youtube I could come on here and maybe and some of my friends who I know are like lightning funny, like you just put them on anything and they're the funniest people ever. I'm like, these people are going to crush YouTube, but that's not what YouTube is. I didn't know that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it took me years to build my following, which, you know, coming into it off of UCB and people being like, Oh, you're good. I like you. I like your stuff. And then your teachers are like, Oh yeah, you're fucking great. You got a future here, kid and all the stupid shit. But then you get on YouTube and then like harsh reality hits and you're like, wow, I, I have to build an audience. This isn't just like everyone else sucks. And I just did something that I think is funny and everyone's going to agree. It's not how the world is. Yeah. So I was like 22 years old. You know what I mean? Like you just don't know yet. Yeah. There's like the bit of the hubris. Cause you do see, especially back then you see a lot of stuff on YouTube. You see the people at maker and other like multi-channel networks or whatever. And you just go, this is what people are liking. And no yeah. real, like, hate on them they're just doing their own thing and you realize youtube is less in a way quality and a lot of quantity a lot of consistency and a lot of like personalized building your fan base like you said like there's so many people i'm like i don't really find your stuff funny but you've done it so consistently that people are now watching you because they like to see you yeah and they want to hang with you or whatever it's not necessarily because you make like dude even the best i think like the the greatest like obviously good neighbor we remember we love those guys they were doing it right i thought on on youtube but you can just get burned out eventually mm-hmm. and then you get hired to do greater things i also feel like you at least very early on saw it as like you don't want to just be a youtuber like you know like the end goal for you wasn't like i'm gonna get like millions and millions of subscribers and this is it it was sort of like this is an outlet this is a creative platform to be stepping stones like you saw it very much more like a business of like how am i going to like launch into other things i always called it stairs i said this is this is stairs for me i want to take the stairs obviously right but it's interesting how the business has evolved because when i first started doing it youtube was stairs but now it's its own whole thing which i didn't know and like when you're a kid and you dream you're like oh man i hope one day i'm a comedian i'm an actor all this shit i'm on movies and stuff you don't think that like you know, you don't go, I want to be a YouTuber, but now that's what kids do. They go, I want to be a YouTuber, which is wild to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was in like that first generation of them. 
Um, and you were, you were right there with me. So yeah, it's just, it blows your mind to think about how everything has changed. And obviously I've used YouTube as stairs to make other things like we made movies and stuff. And, but you know, the, the fight continues, right? You, you still have to grind it somewhere to make people look at you and go, Oh shit, I could make a movie with him or a series or whatever. Yeah. I always measured myself in a way to like my peers. And I thought like, I really respect these people. And they also seem to have signed off on me. So like, I must be doing something right. That always feels good too, man. When you got, like, like when I got with you and we kind of spoke that same language and then like, you know, we could look around the room and we're like, okay, they get it or they don't get it. Mm-hmm. It's just the camaraderie of that. There's nothing better than that. Yeah. Cause you very early on also like your writing partner and the person you work with Michael Gallagher, you mentioned like, what do you think makes that a good partnership for you guys? We laugh at the same shit. If he sends me a clip of something, I'm going to laugh my ass off at it. It's just like with you. If you mm-hmm. tell me you have an idea for something, it's probably going to make me bust, bust a fucking gut. Like, it's just, what, you just had that verve, that little, like, I don't know why have we been friends for 10 years? You know what I mean? Like, it, we just pick up where we left off, too. I, I could not speak to you for six months. And then, like, it's like I just I just saw you yesterday. Like, it's just it's just interesting how um, those friendships work. But, yeah. Yeah, I knew, I knew early on, too, especially when we used to, we were doing, um, after I got, I was going through a breakup. Me and you would meet, like, every week. And we were working on, like, some movies and shit. And, like, we were just writing shit. And man, I swear to God, those, those nights laughing our asses off. I don't think I've laughed harder. So that's the kind of stuff that that's why I love all this shit. That's what I do it for. Yeah. I often feel like do it because you love it. First off, if you don't, then that's stupid. And the, like the potential kind of paydays or success, if you're doing it right, are the frost. Like that's not the like main goal. It's like, it's just a byproduct of just doing something well that you love. And yeah, we had, a good chunk of time where we'd meet like almost every week working on scripts and stuff and howling. Like, I feel oh. like one thing about you is that we both got to kind of dive into like the darkest of humors. Like <laughs> there'd be so many things that we'll never see the light of day. Like we no would, way. we'd write a scene, we'd be crying, laughing and we'd go, no one can ever read or see this. <laughs> like it was just like, it was too dark. It was too bad, no. but it just like tickled us because we were like, just it's that level of like like you said you find like kismet people you find people who make you laugh in the same way which just makes it like the staying power in this so much easier oh yeah and every time anytime people are like oh man who would you rather who would you work with i'm always like dan acker mike gallagher like those are it's just easy it's just i don't have to i don't stress about it i don't have to worry about it i can just show up and i'm gonna have a great time that's the best yeah i feel the same way about you guys where it's just like it, there is an ease. There's an ease to the joy. Yeah. And you just go, it's not work. It's it not isn't. Work. It isn't. Do you have for yourself like a, like a definition of success or fame? Like- It'll never happen. That's, that's the curse I think is that um, even at my own, I always like to take a minute whenever I've done one, like a, a movie premiere for one of my movies, right? Like we've done like four of them now. I take a minute during that and I go, wow, this is awesome. I'm really appreciative of this, that I got to do this. I may never get to do this again. Right. But then the next day is one of the most miserable days ever because there's all that buildup for something. Everyone shows up for it. It's like your thing. And everyone's like, oh, cool. And you get to see everyone again and like everyone from set. But then the next day you see the world goes on without you. The world goes on without your movie. Right. Everyone's up to something else. And so you got to start back at one. And that's I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And Mm -hmm. I, I sort of love that, too. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have a definition of success. I don't go, oh, man, I'm so successful. I guess if you were to, you know, 
take me to some film school or something and like stand me in front of the class, you could say all my credits and people should probably go, oh, okay, he's done things. But I don't feel that way ever. Mm. Like I, I just don't. I'm glad that I have credits and I'm glad that really, I'm glad that I have experience more than anything else. Cause I, you know, I, I definitely would approach things a little differently uh, next time around. Like, and I feel that way about every project that I do, especially being so touchy and like fucking, when you first make your first movie with your script, right, that you co-wrote with your buddy, mm-hmm. you just feel this like, oh, but that's not exactly what I saw on the page. Or that's not exactly how I wanted that to play. But that's not how it is unless you're fucking Fincher. Mm-hmm. And you get to do 90 takes because you want it exactly the way you want. That's just not how reality is. And also there's just different layers of it, right? Like you wrote the script. Somebody else is going to perform the script. And it's going to be a little different. That's their job, right? That's what they do. Then somebody, obviously, you know, there's a, there's a director who's going to take it their way. So it's not yours. And you just got to let go a little bit and be humble. That, that's what I think. I wish I knew in the very beginning when I was like, I, I remember every time that I saw a cut of something, I was crippled with disappointment instead of trying to find the, the, the verve of it that I liked right. initially. You know what I mean? It's, it's. The danger of the preciousness. You're like, yes. oh, this is this is this thing in my head. I I see it perfectly, and you have to realize it it won't be that. And I think there's almost that expectation of like I pictured it like this, and when it's not that, it's not good. And you miss the moment when you see like it's not what I pictured, but it's actually better. Like you almost there's a beauty to you it. almost have to accept the moments where like I need to accept that it's going to be different, and that there's a chance that whatever I envisioned, somebody else might make better. Yeah. And that's good. It's a good thing. And, and it's a collaborative effort and you have to shut up and realize that it's a collaborative effort. It's not just your thing. Right. Even if you're the exact producer, you're the, all this shit. It's a, it's a collaborative effort. You can't make that shit alone. You just can't. So yeah, it's been great. I, I, that's what I mean. I'm glad for every experience because every time that I do the next one, I always am more appreciative mm-hmm. that I even get to do it, frankly. But the other thing too, is you kind of, it's just like your first YouTube video. You kind of, look back on them and you go, oh, I would have done this, 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 this. But if you, if you, instead of doing that, which is how I used to be, and I, I go, oh, I'm so glad I got to do that because I know what I would do differently now. It's just a, it's about just reworking the way you look at things. Right. It's, it's like, you can look back at all the stuff you've done in the past to help you today being like, wow, I've done all that stuff. That's amazing. As opposed to looking in the future and like, well, what have I done lately? Like, what am I going to do? Like, yeah. And I think it, comparing almost the first movie to the first YouTube video for you is like a good thing because there is that start of like, I'm going to make this thing. People are going to realize how, how it's supposed to be done and like kind of the world and reality. And it's just, it's, I, to me, I always say it, it's consistently being good, being a good person, being good at what mm-hmm. you do. Like you keep doing that over time, you're going to stumble and you're going to make things and you're going to have things that you're like, oh, this is like, I'm proud of this as opposed to, you know, we have all the things we made in the past where we look back and it's like, oh, I would have done things a lot differently, but it is the knowledge and experience gain that's so paramount. Exactly. And I'm just grateful. I'm more grateful now than I think I was. I was was a little more of a hothead, Mm -hmm. you know, as they say in Top Gun movies. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I don't think that was good for me. I think it's better to look at the, these things in, a, in the best way possible. I mean, just your definition or your loose definition of success for yourself. I think the biggest thing you do is just taking that minute to be present, mm-hmm. to realize what you've created, where you're at. Be grateful. Because like, there's just too many people on the planet that don't do that for anything in their life. And I always, I always say like, if you can, when you get a win, no matter how small, 
take at least a moment to celebrate. Like just acknowledge that, that you've done this thing. Like the fact that before these premieres, you take the minute in a way you described it. And I thought it's like these movie premieres for you almost feel like milestone birthdays. Like you're yeah. 21st or you're 30. It's like, it's fun. It's great. And then it's the next day. And you're, yeah. it's like, okay, maybe you'll have some birthdays that aren't as amazing, but you're working towards living a life with some milestones. Yeah. And it must be, dude, I can't imagine what it's like to like have like the, the kind of success where everyone sees that as success, like universally, where like we win an Oscar and then the next day it's like, holy shit, what am I going to do next? Like that, that's, that's another thing that happened to me too, um, in a very relatively different way where I first went viral right like when you first go viral with a video you sort of like are getting pulled in all these different directions because people liked it for this reason or they liked it for that reason and you have to like try to you have to try to figure out why everyone's there and so you end up almost trying to do that same video again and again and again so that you keep everyone happy and shit and you kind of can lose your creative self in that stuff yeah i kind of i that that would be the way that i have um you know touched success and then been so very afraid of it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's the fear of like, will they like the next thing? Yeah. And as a creative person, performer, actor, and even as a human being, you want to evolve. You want to change your stuff. And there's, it becomes risky the better you're known for a type of thing because then people start to be like, well, what are you doing now? Like, I don't like this. Like, it's the dreaded, yeah. you're it's the dreaded second album. You know, it's the like, mm -hmm. are they going to like this? They loved that thing and you know like especially in the youtube world i feel like so much of it is your brand it's your like niche it's like i have these types of sketches i do every other week and like that's the world and then i mean we've seen it at maker and other places where oh yeah people do the same thing over and over and it does well and then the moment they're like i want to try something different it just falls off they're brutal it's like no thanks we don't like this we want you to do it again and again and again. I mean, it's it. That's what happens to. And by the way, you can be very successful doing that. And like, I know some some nice people who have done that. Like, you know, pun intended. Like, like nice Peter doing uh, epic rap battles. I'm sure he wants to do other things as mm -hmm. well. I'm sure. But that that was such a successful format that they just kept on grinding that thing out. And like, good for those guys. It, was, it became huge. So yeah. But then you know, and I even know like you know Tayzunde, the guy who did Chocolate Rain. It's almost like every time he posted a video after that, they're like, just do Chocolate Rain again. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, you just become, they're like, they just want you to do that again. And um, that can be really dangerous if you're trying to do other things. Yeah, it's, it's this weird thing where they're like, the first time they see it, they're like, that's so out of the box. And then they go, now get in that box and stay in that box. Exactly. It's sort of like, it's, it's either a beautiful thing because you happen to have struck like gold and on something you actually like doing like the kind of the nice Peter example I hope they enjoy it it seems like they're still able to be seems like creative do. Yeah. and do different things within the format and there's people who are like oh I bet there's moments where they're like uh oh this is the thing this is the thing I'm going to be doing like yeah it's, it gets scary that dude that's when you're Adam Richman you're eating food somewhere and you're like God damn it. This is it, huh? All right. I know. Like, I think he was like, didn't he, wasn't he a comedian? And then he, he became like a food guy. It's just interesting where you get pulled. Yeah, I'm not sure how his star, this is the guy who like, is, was his show Man versus Food? Was that it? Yeah, Man versus Food. They yeah. go to like cities and he tried like their biggest, he'd have to do every challenge at the places. I believe maybe like, I don't fact check any of my stuff on these podcasts. So, Perfect. you know, that makes it easy for me. I believe he had like, 
like health problems and had to stop the show and like get i think he's in much better shape now but like but then people are like hey fuck <laughs> you man you eat lasagna man what the hell are you doing yeah, right now do the garfield challenge where you eat lasagna every day except monday i was always like god i hope whatever if i get known for it it's not something like that where it's like you're in like a, a like a deadly trap like dude you came close because you were the dairy queen guy for a little bit <laughs> You're a, for a hot minute, I'm like, oh my god! Wouldn't it be funny if one of the funniest guys I know is just the Dairy Queen guy forever? Oh my gosh! Honestly, would have been fine with it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, that's just like Flo, right? Doesn't? Yeah. I mean, people. I know people who know Flo. I know Flo. She's one of the funniest supervisors. Yeah, and she's like, she was um, very funny. Apparently, oh, she's still but, extremely funny. And I mean, honestly, like when I got the, this is for people who really paid attention to my career. So, hi, mom and dad. When I did the Dairy Queen stuff back in like 2017, I had a series of commercials. I was the quote unquote Dairy Queen guy for the moment. And it was like, <laughs> great. It was like so much fun. Crew was awesome. Everyone loved it. And it was like, this could be a flow situation. And I was like, please let it be because she's been <laughs> yeah. able to like dictate, like she plays multiple characters in some commercials. She's able to like, do. I was like, whatever, like commercials are, are a nice gig. And at the same time, I was like, I actually like Dairy Queen. <laughs> I was waiting for like, it. I was like, I believe in the product. I, be- like, I, who, I love a blizzard. I love a blizzard. You can put it upside down. It doesn't come I, out. I had to do that in several commercials and it, <laughs> it works people. It doesn't fall out. I don't know. Like so many things are kind of like happy to get any work at, at moments. You're just like Hell yeah. grateful for it. Like, especially with this pandemic shutdown where everyone was like, uh-oh. Like, oh, yeah. is there anything you've been like, writing yeah i wrote a couple movies me and my buddies um i do this show called jk news like every couple weeks and um i wrote some movies with those guys that are one in particularly i really enjoy so we'll see hopefully you know we get to we were like it's one of those things right where we did a we did a series that we shot i shot with them called danger boys and it's like it's almost like one of those um gang uh, documentaries but that you follow like a, a basically a camera crew that got sick of doing like all these insane gang um documentaries like they had to be in the shit with like all these crazy gangs they got sick of it and so they're like we just want to take it easy for a little bit so they started following the least threatening gang in this in the san gabriel valley and that's the danger boys and and they're basically just trying to get their name out there and get on the map and shit and trying to you know be badass but they're really bad at it and so we did, we shot that. We had a producer lined up. We were taking it on tour to several colleges. We already took it to like three colleges. Huge reception, everything. Thousands of people there. And then COVID hits. It all gets shut down. The meetings get canceled. The producer's like, I don't know when anything's going to happen again. So, you know, it's just a setback. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I've been working with those guys on that series. And then we wrote a couple movies. And then working with Michael on uh, that that kids movie and uh you know we'll just see what happens i'm I'm, in the meantime i'm doing um me and nikki got a podcast called shit they don't tell you that we do every week we just talk about the shit that they don't that we wish that we knew about growing up and stuff we talk about all kinds of different shit i get to talk about crypto a little bit Mm -hmm. you know me and uh yeah so that's basically my life right now very nice as someone has worked enough have you flagged or gotten bad advice that you could share with people of like, when you hear this, you know, red flag should come up. Yeah. I would say that when I first got on YouTube from other improvisers, they were telling me not to do YouTube. 
And also agents and reps were telling me not to do YouTube. And it turned out to be like, obviously now the advice they give is like, what's your YouTube channel? <laughs> do you not have one? We don't want to sign you. Like, it's like crazy how that is. Right. It all flipped like that. So yeah, that was probably the worst advice. And had I taken it, obviously I'd be in a much different position right now. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I did not listen to that at all. Yeah. I feel like so much of that advice comes from, they wouldn't do YouTube, you know, like it's sort of like, yeah, they're just it, giving you like, Hey, I wouldn't do this thing. And you have to go like, oh, okay. Like what are the reasons? And most of the reasons are like, I don't like it or I don't want to be a part of it. Like, but I didn't like it when I started, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you just have to start somewhere mm -hmm. and, you know, and also fall in with the right people. Like, like that first set, if I was to be on that first set of hot girls and be like, well, I don't like this show. I don't get, okay. Guys in a dress. That's not funny to me. Mm -hmm. Like just seeing a guy in a dress. That's not funny. Yeah. Like um, if I didn't hang out still, if I was like, nah, fuck this whole medium. I was on one, on set for one video. I wouldn't have gotten to do like all these sketches with my buddy, Mike, and like all this other stuff that I did enjoy doing. So, and then I ended up starting my own channel. So yeah, I didn't write off everything because I had one experience where I was like, this doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is just the staying power and realizing like, you're going to have bad experiences in, in anything you're doing. Like you got to find the little, little bits that were decent. And that's what I think you've been good at is like being like, okay, I don't like this, but I do like that. And then slowly working your career to have more of that and less of the bad. Yeah. And I had fun too. Like I had a lot of fun. I was in early twenties. I was on set with everybody just because I didn't think the comedy was there. Didn't mean I didn't have fun with everybody and hit it off with them because I did. Um, and that's the other thing too, that um, I'm glad happened is that everyone was super cool. So I'm not, just just shitting on the show although i keep on doing that don't i um it's really just about the people that i met there like i got to meet hi i'm ron there and he's been a buddy forever now too and like obviously Cassim's a buddy now forever especially starting out more than even what you're making is the people you're making it with and yes like i'd feel like you'd have less likely of staying with the youtube and like making things if it was flipped like the comedy was great but everyone around you was awful right like it's, it's so much easier to be like, okay, what we're making might not be my like style or cup of tea. I might not think it's as funny, but I'll hang out with these people. Like it's, it goes so much further. Like, I think there's the misconception that like, if you make really good stuff, you're going to love it. It's like, no, you're going to love it if you're with good people. Yes. And that's dude. Anytime you hear like an ex SNL cast member talking about the show, they're always talking about the people. It's never about like, oh, I had a great time doing this sketch or that sketch. Like that was all great, but the people and the camaraderie and the laughs and like all the things that we're talking about with each other, like laughing at things that no, we'll never see the light of day. Maybe like all that stuff has made all this way more of a richer experience for me. Have you felt like growing up, you've always been a good, good barometer of people. Like you've amassed like good friendships and similar things, or was that something that slowly through being creative, it's like gotten better. I fucked up a little bit, I think, but, um, but I, I keep a tight circle. <laughs> Like if you're in my circle, like you're in my circle, but then uh, as far as like, yeah, I don't, I don't have like a, I wouldn't say that uh, I'm very friendly with a lot of people, but I wouldn't say a lot of people are my friends per se. Like I have, cause when, when somebody's my friend, like for example, like you in particular, if you were to tell me that something isn't funny, I'd be like, oh shit. All right. I, that means something to me. Cause I respect your opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. But if somebody is my friend and I have them in my circle and they're like, Hey, I wouldn't do that. I don't think that's funny. And I don't respect the, their, their comedic, whatever input or whatever that I can't be as close to them because of that. I can't give them control over my 
ideas and all the things that I'm pitching, or I could fuck myself mm-hmm. up. Like, cause you know, we're all comedians. We're fragile people. Yes. <laughs> like there's a lot of fragileness in here and I don't want to shatter if somebody's in my circle who I can't, you know, uh, I can't trust to have that kind of pull over me. That's all. Right. Because I'm, because I'm a weak man. <laughs> yeah. Just a weakness to all yeah. of us. I hear you on that where yeah. it's, you keep the circle tight of people you respect and admire and look up to. So when they do tell you the harsh truth, you're like, Oh, I have to take it. But if you have somebody in that circle yep. who you don't respect, you're still going to take the harsh truth. Like it's a weird thing. Like you can't then not hear it. So suddenly you have someone you don't really agree with making you doubt or making you feel like, Oh, maybe this isn't that good. And you're like, no, no, no. I, I need to, I need to have different circle groups. Like there's the tight inner circle where it's like, great, say whatever. There's an outer circle where it's like, oh, okay, we're all polite and friendly. We'll work together. What I'm talking about is my comedy circle. Right. right? Like, like my mom is not in my comedy <laughs> circle. My mom is out of the circle. She does not, I don't give a fuck what she thinks about something. If she thinks something's not funny, which is by the way, anything I've ever done, <laughs> I don't give a shit. Right. Like she, and she always tries to send me like a red skeleton DVD and be like, this is how comedy should be done. And I'm always like, thank you. Perfect. The reviews are in once again, I'm not red skeleton. So yeah. I'm talking about my comedy circle. My friendship circle is different. All kinds of different people in that circle. But as far as like the people that I allow to impact my comedic ideas, it's a, it's a, it's a under 10 list. It's gotta be tighter because you're working on such a subjective medium that you're like, I need, like, I'm not listening or caring about the people who don't get my humor. Like that's already like, they're already out. Like I need people who get my humor, see where I'm coming from. And then we can fine tune it. Yeah, if they get my angle, great. And if they they like they if that's their, their cup of tea, like then we then we have I can get something out of this, right? That could be beneficial for for all of us. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, uh, no, out. Right. Now you mentioned the movies and the premieres. You have other times throughout your career where you feel like you've like made it. I remember every Friday night I would I'd be done with my week. So usually like my week at Maker and then doing real life trolling was like exhausting. Like I would be Monday through. Friday um, every day and especially like when I was writing for the Ray William Johnson show like that was just like nuts so I was just always doing something but on a Friday night I'd go to a movie with my friends usually like Michael and Nikki and whoever and I would just sit in the chair watching the movie and I would finally just let my body relax Mm -hmm. and that was my little celebration moment that I did everything I needed to do that week. And okay, cool. I get this moment to be like, yes, you did. You did it, Steve. That's great. But like next week is coming too. So, but, but that Friday night where I got to do that, I, I wouldn't, I would trade it for anything. Cause every, I, I remember every week doing that and feeling so like, like I'm building towards something and that, that feels good. You have a really good kind of outlook and system of like having moments of relaxation and reflection and being yeah. like, okay, I don't have to be, Working 24-7 all the time, like it's also important to take a break and be like, you did this week, just enjoy a movie, enjoy time with friends. We'll be back in on Monday. Like, you know. Yep. And yeah, you had a YouTube video like where you just real life trolling. Like you were just going yep. around trolling the hell out of people. Do you feel like in a way, like it's odd to see almost how dangerous and horrible trolling has become? On the internet, like yeah, it sucks. is it like because I remember like your videos were very like there's like a mean edge to them, a little snarkiness, but like I, I don't ever think I'd watched or saw a video you did where I was like that's that's too far. Like I think you were very much in the pocket of like 
more in line with what you could see like the movie like Eric Andre's Bad Trip or like Borat movies where you were just like it's funny but at the end of the day no one's really getting hurt or harmed yeah and there had to be a point to it otherwise I didn't want to do it right like there had to be something going on satirically for me that had to had to be in there otherwise you're just walking up to people and going ah you're stupid <laughs> you know yeah. and I don't like in particularly I guess my most popular format was the I just this thing called the bang bus prank where we got guys to get into a van who thought they were going to be on the bang bus because I had real porn stars there. Like, like real actual porn stars where they're like, Oh shit, I know her. And so um, the guys would get into the van, right. Thinking that they're going to fuck porn stars right now without even getting tested or anything. These guys were really just, they really thought they made it. Yeah. That was the lucky day. Then I would say, okay, you ready to fuck porn stars? Like hell yeah. And then um, the girls would, crawl to the front of the van and pick up camera and sound equipment and they would slave and then i had two big oiled up muscly dudes get in the van and start like being like yo man all right you're cute you know shit <laughs> and these guys would fucking lose their minds right and they're like they're like wait i thought i'm gonna get the fuck these porn stars i'm like oh you think they're porn stars and like yeah and i'm like no that's my camera girl that's my sound girl it's that's, that's allison that's that's mary you know all this bullshit and these guys are like what the fuck are you talking about man oh man i got my dick out here man <laughs> But that was kind of the beauty of your stuff where, like you said, there is the like a bit of there's something bigger going on. And like for that, yeah. especially there's like the thing of like, what is this about? Like guys just getting in a van willing to sleep with anybody, like not signing a release, not ever. They just think that porn stars are down to fuck anytime. You don't even need to get tested. Yeah, not their porn. That's what they do. They fuck to flip it on them. You were down to have, we never specifically said these people, we said, said porn, porn stars, stars and these other guys are porn stars. So like, and they look like it too. Holy shit. These, they look like 1980 porn stars. Well, one of them really does. But another one I did in the same vein, right. Where, um, I got guys uh, um, to, I was like, Hey dude, we're doing like a, a, a pilot for this show. I'm the producer. And then it looked super legit. Cause we're at maker and we have like these huge sound stages and shit. Right. And I'm um, sitting in a director's chair and I'm like, we need guys who are down to just say what guys always say behind closed doors about chicks, right? We're like guys who are just willing to go there and like say the things that we all say, right? And then so the, I got these guys all juiced up and shit, right? And they're like, fuck yeah, dude. Oh, oh man. Oh, dude. Yeah, I can lay it down on chicks and all this shit, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, cool, man. So we, I'm going to show you pictures of hot chicks and you're going to tell me what you would do to them and all shit, right? So then they would be like, oh, man. And I had pictures of these girls that I took. I took pictures of girls for this. I had I had actresses come in, I had them like bending over in yoga pants, all the shit. And these guys like, oh man, that ass, I would just fucking, oh, I would fucking beat that ass up and all this shit. You know what I mean? And then at the, I'm like, you'd beat that ass up. I'm like, absolutely. I would fucking bring it to that fucking ass. And I'm like, that's great. And I'm like, I just want you to know. And then I'd flip the picture over and I'm like, that's your sister. And it was their sister. I got their actual sisters. Oh, so my God. They would be. They would be bent over. And this is all real. We actually did this shit. We got sisters who were down to pull a prank on their brothers. That was like the thing that we put up on like Actors Access and all that kind of shit. And then we, I told the chicks the prank. They're like, holy fuck. Like, I don't even know if my brother's going to go for this. Uh, like, but I, I, you know, I hope he doesn't. <laughs> and yeah, we, they would all say the worst things. And then we made it like, there's your sister. And then you could see them. And then you see the sister with me. And we're, we're all like, like pointing at them and shit. And the photos, it was fucking awesome. This is the time in the show where I bring out uh, the special guest, famed insult comic Raz Clifford. Raz Clifford, he loves to just roast these people, bring them down a peg. So 
He's going to come out for a quick roast on you, Steve. Love Let's it. bring him out. Hey, come on out, Raz. Oh, hi, folks. Here we go, Raz Clifford. Oh, finally someone talented, Seth Green. Wait a sec. This isn't Seth. Some schmuck named Steve Green. Okay, what's he done? Let me look up his IMDb. Pretty empty. Oh, God, YouTube movies. Yikes. You should have changed the name podcast to Almost Almost Internet Famous, you know, because of that, that shit you created, Steve. Steve has done so many YouTube videos out there. He's the star of the small, small screen, which seems right, because you wouldn't want to see this man any, any larger. <laughs> Steve, for the life of me, I can't figure out why you feel the need to put yourself in your movies. You're better behind the camera, like far, far away from the camera, not to be seen by anybody. This has been a funny story, and Steve, you're the punchline. Boom, you got razzed. If you see me around, do not look at me. Walk the other way. I don't want to have small talk with you. Bye. All right, later, Raz. There you I'm go. I'm slimed, dude. I'm slimed. You got slimed me. You. Nickelodeon slimed you. Yep, that's how it feels. If not acting and writing and creating, what would be the like next career path? It's interesting. I'm kind of doing it right now at the same time that I'm doing all my other stuff is I'm doing, um, I'm teaching a lot of people about cryptocurrency stuff because um, um, me and Nikki's, me and Nikki, my wife have a Patreon and we like a lot of people over the years have been like, dude, I remember you talking about crypto on this show, on that show, on JK News or whatever. And uh, I just started buying like a little bit and like, yo, what are you up to now, dude? Because like everything's been spiking off. So I started doing that and I really enjoy it. It's very fun, like showing people all the different ways that I look at crypto stuff, like how I look at all the ratios and all the different moves and stuff. So yeah, definitely something in the crypto space. I remember literally at Steve and Nikki's wedding, he took the time out of his wedding to tell me about yeah, bro. this was years ago. He was just like, like, okay, here's this thing. This is what it is. These are the apps. Get it. And I, I got some that night. I was just like, this sounds amazing. And I feel like you are like well-primed for, for that Avenue having, you know, your history of just making videos and being informative. And it's also a topic that you I love find it. interesting. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. I do it all. I, I focused on it so much that um, in the, yeah, like you said, I'm at a wedding. I had people buying Ethereum. Like I'm, I'm helping them set up wallets at my <laughs> yeah. own wedding. Cause dude, I just, because I believe in it as a financial movement, I think that our system sucks. And I, I look forward to kind of like unshackling our economy to a lot of the, the things that the dollar isn't capable of when inevitably you become a guest on a late night talk show do you have like a story you've always wanted to tell yeah so there was a time uh i remember i was watching superman 2 starring christopher reeves and i, I had to be mm -hmm. 19 years old and i fell asleep like on my hands right like this uh and one of them when i woke up it was completely collapsed like it would i could not pick it up and so it was like hooked constantly and I couldn't move my couldn't pick up my wrist so and it was my right hand it was my and I'm a right-handed person so then I go downstairs and I'm telling my my and I you know everyone knows I'm like uh, yeah you're gonna prank us or whatever they didn't believe me that I couldn't feel my hand and so I was smacking against cabinets and shit They're like whatever yeah okay and then I turned on the sink made it so the water is like steaming so you could see it steaming. I stuck my hand in there and I looked at them and they're like, holy shit, okay. And they turned off the, the water and then they took me to the doctors and I had to go to physical therapy for like four and a half months. 
And they told me there was a possibility I would never get move, movement in my wrist back because I killed all the nerves in there and, and nerve damage is super weird. I ended up going to physical therapy, right? And I'm there with like guys who like got hit by an IED in Iraq, okay? And they lost like a limb or something. And I'm there having fallen asleep on my hand. <laughs> Just feeling like the biggest ass. They're like, you're like, I did my second tour. There's another guy like, hey, it was in a shark accident. You're like, I slept weird. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we're all here in this room. And I'm like, so sorry that I even exist because, because they went through some real shit. And I fucking sleep, slept on my hand after eating Jack in the Box while watching Superman 2. If the first act wasn't so boring, I blame the movie. Sure. I wouldn't have fallen asleep. Yeah. yeah. Cause I was waiting for the city fight anyway with Zod and all that shit. So mm-hmm. it was just a little slow paced is all. And thankfully you, you know, the physical therapy worked and you got yeah. feeling back in your hand, yeah. which is fantastic. Steve, thanks for being on. My pleasure, brother. Always. Hopefully I'll never have to be on the show again. Cause I'll be so famous. I can't go on a show called almost almost famous. You don't have to upgrade to have me. Yeah. It, it wouldn't work. People were like, you can't have that guy on. No, that guy's it, way too big now. Way that too household big. name? What are we talking yeah. about? See? But yeah, thanks for being on. And thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. And this has been Almost Almost Famous. 